Our scripture reading this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And please stand for the reading of the word. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who, did, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. The word of the Lord. Today we get to begin a new series, a bit of a mini-series as we wrap up our summer. We are calling the series God on Screen. Discovering God in what we watch. We get to talk about movies and TV shows at church. Yes. And I'm sure some of you are asking, why are we talking about movies and TV shows at church? Well, I'm glad you asked. Have you ever walked out of a movie or turned off a TV show and like it really touched you, like it moved you to your core? Why did it do that? Why did these imaginary characters and this possibly made-up story on the screen or this film move you so deeply? Was it the good characters? Was it the good story? Maybe it showed you something true about the human condition, who we are, what we're up to. We as people have been telling good stories with good characters since people could communicate. And that's what we have in Scripture as well, right? Some good stories in here. And often we can make connections to similar themes in Scripture to what we watch in the movies and on TV shows. And there's a reason that what's in here reaches down to the core of who we are as humans. What's in here is true. What's in here is true. But just because something is true doesn't mean it's going to go down and touch us in the deepest parts of who we are and ask us to change, right? I'm sure you all have had the experience in high school or college of reading through a history or a science textbook. What's in there is true, but how many of you walked away from a history and science textbook thinking, oh, that changed my life. I want to be a different person because of what I read on page 346 of that history textbook. 
No, there's something about what's in here that makes us want to change, that moves us to who we moves us to the core of who we are as people and invites us into a greater story. Why do we talk about movies and TV shows? Well, I think we have a good example in Scripture. The verse at the bottom there, Acts 17, verses 27 through 28. This is pulled from a sermon of Paul in the book of Acts when he's in the city of Athens and he's invited to this space where all of these philosophers and teachers and cultural leaders at the time are discussing new and exciting things and they are interested in what he has to say because he's preaching about Jesus. And in that sermon, Paul doesn't pull out scriptures because he knows that his audience might not be familiar with the Old Testament and what's in the Bible. Instead, he reaches into their very culture and quotes poets and philosophers. And as he's walking around the city, he had seen idols to an unknown God, and he uses that to draw the people in and to explain to them who the true God is and who Jesus, his son, is and how they can understand him and know him more deeply. I think the same is true for us today. It is important for us to know and to be culturally aware of what's in the movies, what's on TV, what are people talking about, the whole water cooler conversations where you share about the newest thing that's happening. As Christians, it's important for us to know what's going on so that we can have those conversations with people. It can lead to opportunities for evangelism and sharing the gospel and sharing our story. Yeah, I watched that too, and it reminded me of something I read in here. Otherwise, if we're just talking about things that don't make any sense to people or don't have a connection to their lives, we're basically talking a foreign language. We need to be able to make those connections. And for me, I think one of the best ways we can do that is through sharing about movies and TV shows and talking about how that moved you as a person and how that connected to something that you've read in the Bible. So today, we get to talk a little bit about one of my favorite movies of all time, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Not the new one with Johnny Depp, no. Huh? Yes. The classic one with Gene Wilder. One of these, this is probably one of the first movies that I think realized moved me in that way when I was a kid. That there was something about Willy Wonka and the characters in it that made me think a little bit deeper about what it meant to live life. And I think it's, it's a great movie that still holds up even by today's standards. And ultimately, what I would like to pull out of this movie and to help you understand and connecting with the reading from Romans 8 today is this is that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory helps us see that the gospel of Jesus saves us from selfishly living to the flesh and frees us to live a faithful life in the Spirit. Now, who walked out of Willy Wonka thinking that? That's our challenge today, and I think that we can get that. So to remind you a little bit about Willy Wonka, if you haven't seen it in a while, here's here's a movie, here's a clip to help refresh your memory. You are now about to enter the nerve center to the entire Wonka factory. Inside this room, all of my dreams become realities, and some of my realities become dreams. Boys and girls, 
the chocolate room. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. What is this, Wonka? Some kind of fun house? Why, having fun? We are the music makers. And we are the dreamers of the dreams. How did you like the chocolate factory, Charlie? I think it's the most wonderful place in the whole world. All aboard, everybody. So shines a good deed in a weary world. This is kind of strange. Yes, but it's fun. <laughs> forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. What happened? He lived happily ever after. Who's seen Willy, that version of Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? All right, most people in here. Good. Okay. I'm going to walk you through a little bit of the story to get us to our verse today. So in this movie, you are introduced to Charlie Bucket. And it becomes very clear that he's poor. He lives with his widowed mother and his four grandparents in a tiny two- or three-room house. You also hear about this most amazing yet quite mysterious chocolate maker by the name of Willy Wonka. Nobody has seen Willy Wonka in a long time. Nobody has been into his chocolate factory in a very long time. You hear the story of how he was making chocolate and people kept trying to get into his factory to steal his recipes and to spy on him and he locked the doors, kicked everybody out. But the candy kept coming and nobody knew why. Then suddenly this contest is announced where there are five golden tickets hidden in chocolate bars. And then if you find one of those golden tickets, you get to go into the chocolate factory. You get to go on a tour with Willy Wonka. And at the end of it, you get a lifetime supply of chocolate. Yes. The world in the movie goes nuts. School is dismissed. Teachers tell their students, get out of here. We're all going to go find these golden tickets. Chocolate bars are selling like crazy. Boxes of chocolate are auctioned off for thousands of dollars. Everybody's trying to find one of these golden tickets because they want to get into the factory and they want a lifetime supply of chocolate. I mean, who wouldn't want a lifetime supply of chocolate? As the story progresses and each ticket is found, you're introduced to the characters that find them. First is this child from Germany, Augustus Gloop. All he seems to be doing is eating all the time. He can barely have a conversation with the man interviewing him on TV. Then you're introduced to Violet Beauregard. She's talkative, quite competitive, highly motivated. She's constantly chewing gum because she's trying to chew it longer than her best friend. You're introduced to Veruca Salt. Loud, demanding. She's convinced her father to have all of the workers in his factory open chocolate bars to try to find one golden ticket, and they do. You're introduced to Mike TV wearing the Western cowboy getup, who 
watches TV all the time, and his parents serve him TV dinners on trays so he can just watch TV, and he seems to ignore everything else that's going on around him. And finally, but not to spoil it too much, because I'm sure you can assume that he's the main character of this movie, but Charlie does find a golden ticket. So these are the five golden tickets that they've been found. And as each kid finds a ticket and you're introduced to them, you're also introduced to this mysterious character who slides up next to them and starts to whisper into their ear. And you start to wonder, what's he about? And then when Charlie finds his ticket, you find out that he's Mr. Slugworth, Willy Wonka's biggest competitor. And he says, hey, Willy Wonka has this candy called an everlasting gobstopper. It's going to ruin me, so I need you to find one. Bring it to me when you get out of the factory, and I will give you 10,000-somethings. He just waves money. $10,000, something like that. But more money than Charlie or any of the children could imagine. So they all have this temptation on entering the chocolate factory that, are they going to do what Mr. Slugworth wants? Or are they going to follow Willie through the chocolate factory? When they arrive on the day for the chocolate factory tour, we finally get to see Willy Wonka. And we learn quite quickly, he's a bit eccentric. Not always what he seems, but he's interesting. He's intriguing. He's warm. And I think you want to see where he's going and you're you want to follow him. What, what's going to happen? As they enter the chocolate factory, all of the children are asked to sign this huge contract. And it's funny in the movie because it starts with really big words at the top and then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to the fine print until you can't read what's at the bottom. But they need to sign it in order to get into the factory. So they all do. And after they sign... The contract, they begin the tour in the factory, and this is where we start to make connections to our verse today. In verses 5 and 8 of Romans 8, it says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. As they enter into the chocolate factory, one of the first places they go into is this giant room that looks like a garden. There's trees. There's mushrooms. There's this weird brown river. They don't know what it is until Willy Wonka tells them it's all candy. You can eat everything. Our story begins with a garden, doesn't it? Willy Wonka lets them loose in there. They start eating the candy. They're enjoying it. They're having fun. The kids and adults are just enjoying life being in this garden until they turn around and they see Augustus Gloop. He's by the chocolate river just shoveling chocolate into his mouth. And Willy Wonka says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. You'll ruin the chocolate. But Augustus doesn't listen. The kids plead with him, stop. No, don't. But he doesn't listen. And he falls into the chocolate river. 
And he falls in, and you watch the bubbles go, and he gets sucked up into this pipe. And everybody waits as the pressure builds up under him to just push him out of the pipe. Augustus falls prey to his vice, which we've already seen is just eating too much, wanting too much of the good thing. He's so enamored with the chocolate river and eating it and the joy that he can't let it go. He can't listen to the voices around him. He can't hear Willy Wonka telling him what he needs to do. And he gets sucked up into the pipe and his time on the tour comes to a swift end. And as the tour progresses, we're shown how all of the kids will fall in the tour because of their own vices and sins that we've talked about. Augustus, like I said, falls into the river of chocolate because he's selfish and doesn't listen to Willy Wonka. Violet Beauregard, overcompetitive, her desire to be first, also selfish. She eats this new candy that Willie says hasn't even been tested. She blows up like a blueberry, turns blue, and she has to be rolled away and squeezed or else she'll explode, Willie says. Baruch Assault, we've already seen that she is loud and obnoxious. She's greedy. She's wasteful. She has the very famous song singing, I want it now. She wants a giant golden goose so she can have the giant golden chocolate eggs, throws a tantrum, and when she steps on one of those platforms, she is determined to be a want-want bad egg, and she falls down. Her tour is over. Mike TV, his impatience, his disregard for everything that's going on around him, turns himself into a TV transmission and gets transported very miniaturely to a small little TV, and he has to be taken away, Willie says, to the taffy pulling room so he can be brought back to normal size. Also selfish, also not listening. All of the children are selfish in their own ways and don't listen to what Willie tells them they should do in order to make it through to the end. They don't heed the warnings. They don't enjoy the chocolate factory as it's meant to be enjoyed, as the creator of the chocolate factory had intended. They seem to miss the fact that they are in a chocolate factory with the mastermind chocolate maker it's, and the great gift that it was to be invited in and to enjoy everything. I think this is what it's like when we live to the flesh that Paul says here in Romans 8. He says that living to the flesh makes somebody hostile to God. They don't listen. The focus is on self and not on God. It's against everything that God intended. The person who lives to the flesh does not submit to God's law. They think they know better. They live to the self. They live to their own law, their own wants, their own desires. And the mind that is governed by the flesh is death. There's only one place living this way can lead, and that's away from God. Living to the flesh draws us away from God because we can't hear his voice. Away from the source of all joy and life. We are all tempted at times to live our lives as each of these kids do and show us in this movie. But I think we get shown an alternative. 
we get shown Charlie. And I think Charlie for us is an example of what Paul talks about in this scripture of living by the Spirit. Verses 5 and 6 of the reading today, But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Charlie, throughout this film, I think, demonstrates for us what living life by the Spirit is. And during the tours they're going through, they get to that everlasting gobstopper machine. And it works, and it chugs, and it kicks out the everlasting gobstoppers, and each kid is given one. And it's very apparent that the kids want to betray Willy Wonka and want to give it up. But four of them are, are done in by their own selfish and fleshly desires before they can make it to the end of the tour. Yet one, one doesn't seem to be giving in, and that's Charlie. Charlie, the least and less likely to have gotten a ticket. People opened hundreds of chocolate bars. They opened boxes of chocolate. And in the movie, Charlie only opens two. And the last bar he opens has the golden ticket in it. Charlie throughout the film is selfless. He uses his paper route money to buy bread for his family and his family calls it a feast because they don't have money to buy bread normally. When his family gives him chocolate for his birthday, probably another great expense for the family, he tries to offer some to each member and say, hey, let's, no, let's, not, let's share Charlie demonstrates love for his family. He demonstrates joy because he seems to be the only one really having fun in the chocolate factory throughout the whole tour. Charlie also demonstrates that suffering sometimes is a reality of life. He doesn't deny that bad things or bad circumstances happen, but that doesn't limit what he believes can happen to him in this story. And in fact, when it happens and he gets into the chocolate factory and he experiences this great blessing in spite of his circumstances, it heightens the experience for him. He knows he's not supposed to be there. He knows he didn't earn it. But he joyfully moves through the chocolate factory, experiencing each and everything with a smile on his face. He's thankful because he knows that it's a gift to have been welcomed into the space. Charlie is our example for living by the Spirit. And we all can do our best to follow that example and live by the Spirit and do what God wants, but sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we sin. Sometimes it creeps into our lives and we give in to the temptation. Every kid blew it in the factory, even Charlie. There's a scene where Charlie and Grandpa Joe, they go into this room on the tour where Charlie introduce, Willie introduces them to the fizzy lifting drink. And that if they drink it, they'll float. And everybody wants to try it, but, Char but Willie says, no, 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 like we haven't tested it yet. It's a little too powerful. Let's just move on. Well, everybody walks away except for Charlie and Grandpa Joe. And they sneak a drink. And they start to lift higher and higher, but nobody sees them. And they're going higher and higher, but nobody's there. And they are having fun until they realize, the fan! The fan's going to kill us until they decide and realize that, oh, if I just burp, 
They go down and down and down and down. And they get to the bottom and think, oh, good, we're safe. Nobody caught us. Let's catch up. Nobody realizes what we've done. Just keep moving along like everything's normal. They thought they hadn't been caught. But at the very end of the movie, when Charlie is the last child standing, Charlie and Grandpa Joe go into the end. Willy Wonka says, thank you, have a good day, bye. Shuts the door in his office. I'm like, wait a second, where's our lifetime supply of chocolate? What happened? They go in, they ask Willie, and Willie gets really angry. And you haven't seen him this way before. And he points out that he knows that they stole the fizzy lifting drink. And because they did that, they touched the walls. Those walls have to be cleaned and sanitized, and the whole room has to be shut down. You messed it up for us. Sorry. No lifetime supply of chocolate for you. Have a good day. They failed, they broke the rules. Grandpa Joe gets upset and says, let's take that everlasting gobstopper. Let's give it to Mr. Slugworth because Willy Wonka doesn't deserve it. He betrayed you. Let's, let's betray him. But Charlie, on his way out of the office, turns around, takes the everlasting, everlasting gobstopper and puts it on Willie's desk. He gives up the reward of money because he doesn't want to betray Willy Wonka. He doesn't want to betray his trust in Willy Wonka. He doesn't want to forfeit the great gift that Willy Wonka has given him, even though he screwed up. Even though Willy got a little upset with him, he still believed that Willy Wonka was good. And didn't need to be betrayed. For Charlie, trust and faith are more important than any reward he could ever be given. When Charlie does that, when he puts the everlasting gobstopper on the table, Willie puts his hand on it and quotes a scene from a Shakespeare play, Merchant of Venice. So shines a good deed in a weary world. Willy Wonka turns around, full of joy and life, looks at Charlie. Says, Charlie, you've won. You've done the right thing. Charlie's like, oh, I, I get that. I get the lifetime supply of chocolate now? Charlie says, no, you get, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. We're going to show the whole movie on Wednesday, so if you'd like to come, please join us on Wednesday to see how it ends. Charlie demonstrates his trust in Willy Wonka and gets the reward. The verse that we read today opens with these lines, if you'll remember, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Living life in the Spirit, living our life in Christ, means that we no longer have to fear condemnation. 
Even though we're tempted, even though we may sin and give in to our flesh from time to time, we can trust in God who has given us the greatest gift we could ever imagine. Like Charlie demonstrated his trust in Willy Wonka. Now, we're not placing our trust in some random candy man who makes really good chocolate bars. We are placing our trust in the author of life who has given us the greatest gift in this world. In a way, we've all been given our own everlasting gobstopper, right? Our life. What are you going to do with it? You're going to give it away for the temptation of more money, something bigger, something better? And in that, are you going to lose far more than you could ever imagine by giving in to the temptations of the flesh like all of the other children in the movie? Or are we going to trust our life to the one who created it? To live our life in the Spirit where there is no condemnation. There is always forgiveness when we offer our lives back. When we put it on the altar. When we put it on the table. To not live our life as our own, but to live it in the Spirit. To live our lives in Christ. In that, we receive far more than we could imagine like Charlie does in the film. Far more than a lifetime supply of chocolate. And far more than just following the rules could ever get us. We are forgiven. We are free to live life as God intended. And we are free to live life with God forever. Today we get to gather around this table. This communion. And at this table we are invited to live a life that's not about ourselves. At this table we proclaim the death of Jesus who gave up his life for us. At this table, we give up our life to Jesus. We return our everlasting gobstopper, if you will, and lay it on this table. At this table, like in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, we can see that the gospel of Jesus saves us from selfishly living to the flesh and frees us to live a faithful life in the Spirit. So today, as we gather around this table, this is not candy. Sorry, Jesus didn't do the institution with candy. But he gave us bread and wine. And these are the greatest gifts in the world. If we will just come up and lay our lives on this table as Jesus laid out his life for each and every one of us. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you we live for you.
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. 